Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today. It's Friday here as I record this. It's always a good feeling on a Friday night, isn't it? Finish the week, relaxing, letting your hair down a little bit. Uh, whole weekend to look forward to good times. I don't know why it's like that. Why do we Why do we kind of wish our lives away and try to get through to Friday and always be thinking about and living for the weekend? It's kind of depressing, isn't it? But let's not think about that. Let's be positive. We've got a common comedian, a comedian, a comedian on the podcast today. Really interesting guy, Sam Brillhart. He's an LA-based comedian. He's worked at some of the most exciting comedy venues you can imagine: the Comedy Store, the uh, place called Flappers, the Improv. I would love to go to LA and and watch some of these comedians at these great venues. Um, you know, they get they get some really amazing people who just drop in and perform because they want to perform in front of these these crowds. You know, you have these really sophisticated comedy crowds out in L.A. And uh, so, anyway, Sam was uh, originally in Chicago. He's now in L.A. He's performed at, um, as I said, some of the most exciting places. He's also been in some many films and TV shows. He's a trained actor initially, so he started in Chicago. He, he cut his acting teeth initially at the Moscow Art Theater, which he talks about, so out in Russia, it's kind of interesting, before going on to perform in numerous film roles. He's got a really cool background, and he also makes wine, so, you know, what's not to like, right? He's really uh, an up-and-coming comedian, he's going places, you're probably going to hear about him a lot more, and in addition, he's a lovely, lovely man, and funny as hell, too. Check out his showreel. If you can, he's on YouTube. Check out his website. He's going to give the details at the end of the podcast. He's uh, funny as hell, this guy. And uh, he's he's going to be uh, potentially performing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So I'll keep you updated with that. If he is going to be performing, he's going to come back on the podcast and let us know about it and let us know the dates, which would be amazing. So, uh, yeah, he's a really, really good guy and gives some insights into the comedy scene in L.A. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for my new L.A. friend, Sam Brillhart. I hope I got the right time. I kept thinking, I probably haven't checked the uh, the national or the um, daylight savings or something. I'm going to get them in the middle of the night or whatever. But uh, it's 9 a.m. I think for you, isn't it? Yeah, this is the perfect time. Perfect, perfect. And you're you're because you're based in L.A., aren't you? Yes, I am. Wow, cool. Because here in London, we, when we think of LA, it's kind of we feel like everything's about fifteen years ahead of ahead, ahead of us here. We kind of hear about these things, and then years later, we kind of it's it, it, it appears here in London. Um, you know, the the electric vehicles, legalization, tunneling under the ground, and everything else. Have you always lived there, or is this is this something new for you? Uh, I've lived here for about uh, ten years. Okay, and where were you before that? I was in Chicago. Okay, wow. So it's not like you're new to to the to the big show then. Uh, no. And how did you first get into comedy then? Um, I went to uh, I went to Moscow and studied uh, some theater courses there, and then uh, I was living in Detroit, and I started to get involved in some improv. 
And then I went to Chicago after that, shortly after learning about improv. Amazing. What, but, but hang on, how did you, you said you went to Moscow and started uh, studying some drama courses out there. How did that come about? Did you, was that through the sort of university? They had a study abroad program because it was a Stanislavski-based university. They offered you a way to go to Moscow and learn at the Moscow Art Theater. Wow. So, so, and then how did that work? Do they have English-speaking drama teachers there, or how did you deal with that, the language barrier? Yeah, for the most part, um, they were interpreted to us what they were saying, um, but we got a good sense of how they were saying what they were saying also, okay. where we could tell um, if it was like good, if it was okay, or if they were like, yo, that was amazing. Cool. And now Stanislavski, I think you said Stanislavski, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, um, could you just tell us what's that, what that actually is? Cause I know that's a drama, a way of teaching actors, I believe, right? Yeah. Uh, Stanislavski is considered the, um, so, like, depending on who you talk to, Stan Konstantin Stanislavski is sort of the father of how we approach modern acting today in a real way. Um, and he has, in his couple of books that he wrote, um, he has a lot of great tools for actors to use to uh, get into different characters and different roles and pretend like they are those people. So would it be method acting? Would that be the same kind of thing or? Um, kind of, yeah. He actually, um, the method, yeah, relies on uh, pulling from your own emotional bank to like, to then portray the emotion outwardly. Um, and Stanislavski taught that in an American tour and then left and went back to Russia and then created what he called his system, which was more of like, uh, letting things affect you, uh, not pulling from your own emotional banks because it's harder on your human being. Wow. So, so basically that it might, if you're t pulling from your own emotional banks, it's so emotionally draining that you might not get through f 10 takes or something. Is that, uh, would that be the idea? Yeah, that, that is uh, a perfect way to wrap up that. Okay. It's like, it's, it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So you're only going to be there maybe like 40% of the time. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so, I guess that whole background in, in um, drama helps inform your comedy a lot. I'm, guess, I'm guessing you probably have an advantage on, on other people. I know a few comics are, I've heard of a few anyway, who started as actors and then go into it that way with that background. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it does give me an advantage and, and in ways that uh, I don't even know and I still discover on stage every time. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of like performance hurdles that I've seen that I haven't had to get over. I was like, okay, go out there and like do your five minutes. Mm -hmm. You just kind of go, okay, yeah, cool, action and cut. Let's go out here and do this. Whereas for someone who hadn't had that background, they'd probably be 
I'm guessing for someone even with a drama background, they're kind of freezing the first time they hear those words. Whereas someone who doesn't have a drama background is literally kind of shitting their pants. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, learn, you learn to shit your pants in front of people and go, well, that was me shitting my pants. <laughs> and is that how you... Is that how you learn, or is there, out in California, is there a kind of a school that you can go to, or can you train in another way? Because I think a lot of people think, and especially to do it in L.A., where it's kind of the the most exciting and quintessential sort of starting ground for, for awesome comics, you kind of hear about these venues like the Ice House or the Comedy Store, um, and all these brilliant comedians that are there. Um, can you... Um, sort of trained to be in that arena or is it something like you just said where stage getting on stage is the the way to do it there are places that um you can go that do offer some like beginner classes for it to get you in the group and you know they're wonderful and you can find one that works for you there is a lot of comics are poor so some of them just sort of go up and start failing through failure, they learn, and through, like, asking the guy next to them. So, and, and you can even get to a point where, you know, some some of these amazing comedians are like, hey, come on, let's go on tour. We can, well, I'll help you in your writing process to, like, streamline it a little bit. Because they know stuff, how to stack jokes that, you know, I don't know how to know do yet. Cool. So, so so, like, living in the hotbed of the environment, there is sort of uh, a lot of opportunity to continue to do it. Wow, that's cool. So, I guess, are you seeing, are you bumping into some of the, these guys? Like, are you, a, do, I know that I saw on your social media that you performed at some pretty cool venues. Do you perform at, like, the comedy store and places like that as well? Yeah, I've had a couple of shows at the comedy store now, and... Um, there is a main hallway in between the two stages that they show on their Instagram almost every day that it's where the people wait to go up so sometimes you do get to stare Mark Marin in the eye for like one second wow that's amazing so and then I guess and how long have you actually been doing it then how long have you been I know you you were um, doing the drama and the uh, sorry acting before uh, to some extent anyway how long have you been doing comedy? I did do some improv out here and, uh, and with stand-up. It's been about um, five to seven years that I've been on the comedy scene here in Los Angeles because there is an amazing improv scene here in Los Angeles that uh, is totally separate from the stand-up scene. And could you tell us what the difference is between stand-up and improv? Yeah. Um, stand-up... You are going out there and hopefully saying the most joyful, funny thing at a particular time in order to make a group of people laugh the biggest. Improv, you are creating a group mind to build a scene, to build to the most joyous moment that makes the most people laugh the loudest. Mm -hmm. Cool. And, I mean, the other point um, that's interesting about comedy is you, you often hear that these... Uh, pe men and women who who get into that they they come from a dark background or they've been through a really troubled time like the likes of Richard Pryor or uh, Joey Diaz um, do you think and then a lot of them are 
I know that there is a high incidence, perhaps it's for the population as a whole, but certainly hear about it for for comedians of depression. Do you think there's something that something to the idea that that darkness produces this, um, the grittiness produces this good sense of humor amongst these people? Yeah, definitely. Um, I also think as you um, also feel like as you get better at a, as as a stand up comic, you start to observe the world a, a little bit differently because you can see the, you know the the observational punchlines around you, and you start to go introspective to look at the more gritty parts of your life to be like, whoa, that is messed up. I am different there. Mm-hmm. And I guess part, yeah, I think that's interesting because that's where sometimes I guess the rest of us think that that terrible, embarrassing or shameful or gritty part of my life is unique to me. And I will just keep that, you know, locked up in the, in the closet of my mind and, you know, never, never admitted to anyone. Whereas comedians seem to almost be the opposite. They're like bringing that out. And I think part of that is because they may be understand the depth of humanity a little bit better than the rest of us. And they know that someone else had something maybe if not exactly the same, pretty similar. And you're going to elicit their laughter by sharing and and kind of resonating. Yeah. There's an element of that. Um, but I liked, yeah, I liked looking through your show reel. I liked, um, the, the, one of the a few funny ones there, obviously loads of the funny bits there, but the, um, the one where you're, you and some other guy with mis- mustaches are in the park lifting weights and putting on English accents. <laughs> that was, that was a really good bit. I thought, do you remember that one? Yes, I do. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, that was awesome. <laughs> it's like it was because we hear about here in the UK. We and I'm I'm actually I used to live in the states uh, many years ago, and um, I'm half English. Uh, but I, back in '86, uh, uh, before pre '86, I lived in in Brooklyn, New York. Um, but my mother's English, and so we all we all came back here. But um, there's there's a. Fi- uh, well, I think a lot of English people think if you go to California, you're going to make it and you can just go to L.A. and people love your accent and they're going to just, uh, you know, lap it up. So I'm guessing I was wondering if you see a lot of people like that, um, English people out in L.A. who are trying to make it. Yes, there are a, there are a level of um, the Casanovas from Casanovas. <laughs> like each from each part of each like very eccentric part of the world mm-hmm. like London Cuba Brazil France uh, <clears throat> shoot Egypt India that like are here to you know bring something to life so yeah those those people are all around um, so, yeah probably where the, the inspiration came from for the sketch yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking you probably see these guys in the park, and it was, uh, it was brilliant. The, the accents weren't weren't perfect, but it was just in. It, I think I don't think it was meant to be perfect. Any, anyway, in terms of the accent, it was meant to be funny, which it definitely was. Is this car- this crazy caricature? And I think anyone watching that could identify with someone they know who's kind of gone to chase that that dream kind of thing. Um, but I mean, it, it does. It definitely. I think a lot of people definitely feel like that is living the dream. Like when we're sitting in an office under fluorescent lights, you know, with some 
dickhead of a boss or whatever it is, you know, late into the night, still in the office. And then we hear about, or we listen to a comedy sketch or see it on YouTube or whatever it is. Someone out in California is getting on stage. Everyone's laughing their butts off. Do you feel like you're living the dream or, or, and do you feel like you're, you've kind of um, evaded or circumvented that normal nine to five situation and are you i wonder what your thoughts are on that do you feel like you wish you were i'm guessing you don't feel like you were back there doing that kind of nine to five um me personally no but uh i do know people who do it they're like they're teachers uh a lot of teachers that i know um like are stand-up comedians at night because not only does it make them feel better but they have great material on their kids from the day um so there are people who do make like a nine to five sort of work and for me the like as far as like the dream um i mean it, it keeps getting better and clearer a little bit every year so i figured i'd just keep going for a few more years see what happens yeah because i saw also you you have a saturday night live um was that uh, on you up on YouTube? Was that did you go on uh, SNL or is that was that your kind of show reel to get on onto the show? That was a show reel to try to get on the show. Okay, because that was I enjoyed that all the imp impressions as well. But I guess that would be that's kind of what a lot of the comedians there are kind of. You just have to slot into one of those kind of not just SNL, obviously, but as you said finding someone that you can work with who's a more senior uh, or it's not the right way to put it, but someone who's a bit a famous comedian who says, come with me, I'm going to a more famous comedian who's going to help you write jokes and help uh, sort of take you under their wing. I guess that those are the opportunities that people like uh, are going for out there. Would that, would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like a mentorship uh, situation. Also, you know, it's, uh, I I still have we have the internet and I can you know if, if I have a fan base in Italy uh, Brazil and like Delhi mm. it's kind of silly to me not to put on a tour and at least go and like see those people because I can see the analytics of you know my my Instagram account that's like oh cool I could sell out at least 300 seat theaters over there might as well just go do it yeah uh, and I think, you know, going and doing things like that and being a little bit of a self-starter in that way uh, is attractive to people in, 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 any, in any city that you're in, and you just sort of build from there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, that, that sounds so cool as well, to, that you could, you, as you said, the, the business has probably changed uh, over the years, so I guess in theory, you could put a special... In, quotes um your own special uh edit it yourself and throw it up on youtube you don't need netflix to come and say you know sam brillhart come and you know <laughs> sign on the dotted line and you can market yourself and then you, like you say it could be that you go to london or wherever it is and uh you know sell out everywhere so um that's that's a great i guess uh aspect of the way the technology has changed yeah um, and I don't know, you kind of mentioned it when we first started talking of uh, how we sort of live almost like 15 years in the future here. Mm. And 
it sort of gets spread around. Um, and that's probably the most interesting thing that I'm seeing right now in the city is the, the, I don't want to call it like the crumbling of the walls, but there is a sense of like YouTube has its own TV, you know, network now. Like mm-hmm. they produce their own movies. Nine years ago, that didn't happen. People didn't want a YouTube channel. Now everybody's but dying to get one because they're a makeup artist or whatever. Mm. It's not a. Uh, it's not like it's not like we're uh, repeating anything here with new technology. I don't think. New social platforms to put our stuff out is getting easier. Right. You mean you're not? Re- it's not repeating anything, but you mean it's becoming more, perhaps more prevalent for people to develop their career independently rather than needing some executive at Apple or wherever to, to kind of wave their magic wand kind of thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Your executive at Apple should be you using your cell phone. Mm. And so like, that's where I record most of my stuff sometimes just on my cell phone. Edited on my cell phone. Amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. Because I um, and I saw that Adobe Premiere Pro, they have some new really cool thing that you can have on your phone as well, uh, which looks pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because I I actually use a Mac at the moment, but I should, um, which I kind of regret in some ways because it's totally different from PCs. I thought, okay, I get this Mac, and then it's totally like drove me crazy for a while. But I'm I've managed to get my head around it. Um, but I guess what, what's it what's it like actually when you go on stage in in LA? Then with, with you've got as as we talked about a little bit, you know, it's you're at the forefront of the exciting you know times for for comedy for so many other facets. Uh, you know, IT these all these tech groups out in California, legal legal marijuana, etc. So you've got really I'm guessing pretty sophisticated audiences and people who are pretty battle hardened when it comes to amazing comedy. Do you have to adjust how you, I mean, it seems like a trial by fire kind of thing. I mean, in some ways, do you feel that? Or do you feel like it's just like any other place when you get on stage? I mean, it must be, I just feel like it must be particularly daunting to get on, to get on stage in LA as, as compared to say small town, I don't know, Oklahoma, no offense to Oklahoma. No offense to Oklahoma. Uh, no uh, there is a, a, a yeah. There is like a little bit of added level of uh, preparation and uh, stepping up your game. Probably, um, I feel like that does naturally happen when you sort of rise to the level of the talent that you're playing with. But uh, every time that I go on stage, it still like uh, a trial by fire of like showing people who myself is in this weird goofy funny state mm-hmm. that I can't even explain because I have to sort of like retroactively watch it or listen to it but it made them enjoy themselves mm-hmm. gotcha so you so you kind of you're kind of in your in the zone and then you to assess it you perhaps don't even do it while you're there. You kind of watch it back and, and try to listen for where the laughs are kind of thing. Is that what, is that kind of how it works? Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess everyone who 
has dreamt of being a comedian or wishes they could somehow be in that situation or somehow got their career derailed in another direction. Um, and now they're stuck in a cubicle kind of writing code or something. I think when they think about the, the being a comedian, they kind of think, oh, well, geez, that must be stressful. Just that moment before you get on stage. Do you get nervous at that point or do you, or do you have like a Zen now because you've been doing it for so long and you've got the drama background? Um, like nerves and excitement are the same emotion. So I feel both of them right before I go on stage. And sometimes it's just a level of preparedness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's getting a little bit better as, as I do it all the time because it just becomes these little like seven minute snapshots of your life. Mm. Not the the one time you tried to do something, or like you know the the six times that you tried it. And I guess as well, it probably helps you with anything that you were to do if you ever if you ever decided to go and do anything else in your life, like in you know, well, of course you're going to go into do it. But what I mean is if you go into, if you change industries or, or whatever, I'm guessing that it, the, the fact that you could get on stage so many times and, you know, um, in that kind of arena would make anything else piss, piss easy, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. A little bit, because you are used to carrying the ball of conversation for seven minutes, ten minutes, twelve minutes, and expecting to make people laugh through that. Mm. And not, you know, expecting them to, like, soak up some of the, the deep, very affecting parts of it, but to soak up the part of, like, oh, wasn't it great when he acted like he shit his pants? <laughs> Um, and what do you think about some of the dramas recently, like Louis C.K.? I know he just recently came back. I don't know if you, do you know him or do you work with him much or? No. I know there was a lot of, sorry, I'll go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do not know him at all. Yeah, because there was a bit of drama. He was acting up a little bit. It was pretty offensive, um, obviously. Um, but he's come back and I think he was, got some quite quite hard criticism but I haven't heard what he was performing but he was referring to some of the events that happened when he was uh, when he was uh, sort of ostracized so I guess I guess there is redemption for everyone if he's able to come back but uh, well look I think it's cool to see how these people you know, men and women who do stand-up and have this sort of, like, public life and can mess it up, but sort of come back and talk about it. It's cool to see how they handle it as, like, grown-ups and adults. Like, I thought Chris Rock did an amazing job of how he handled his situation in his special uh, and how he addressed it. So it was like, oh, cool. You're still, like cool in you you just kind of like you're still like the Michael Jordan of stand-up comedy you just like messed up a little bit you still piss rock you go alright cool it's cool it's okay cool 
Can you explain? Sorry, I didn't see. I love Chris Rock, but I've got some old Def Jam, um, com Def Comedy Jam videos from like 1995 or something. So that's the last kind of proper uh, stand-up from Chris Rock I've seen. Can you explain what you mean? What happened? What what went wrong? Oh, um, I guess uh, he had cheated on his wife a couple of times. Okay. And he brings it up in his stand-up comedy act. Gotcha, gotcha. His, his most recent Netflix special. Like, I feel like, you know, when Kevin Hart had some sort of thing happen, he brought it up in a stand-up special. So to see Louis C.K. sort of have to bring it back up, or like, Aziz, I'm sorry, have to talk about it, it'd be hilarious. Yeah, for Aziz, I'm sorry, yeah. Well, I guess that's the, that's the tough thing. And one of the great things I think about comedy is that it's hopefully pretty forgiving. I mean, it's obviously something that's humor is obviously dear to all of our inherent in all of us to some or more of a, or less of an extent. And, um, you, it's also your guys' jobs to talk about those very difficult things and those very embarrassing subjects and those borderline subjects and push the envelope as far as you possibly can. And you guys do a great job of doing that. Um, but I think it's sad if people then go back and say, okay, he joked about this 10 years ago, or he said this, or Andrew Dice Clay said X this time. And I think for the most part, people are pretty chilled and are like, yeah, but it's comedy. Don't, you know, get, don't get too sweaty about it. Um, but it's, I think it would be a shame if people got too uppity uh, about it because it would then stop people from continuing to feel free to make great jokes. Yeah, we're coming to a uh, we're in a bigger pool of gray area as opposed to thirty years ago, mm. where it's you know we can we can see a lot more with the internet. And with a Google search now than we could 30 years ago. True. Um, do you do you get out to the UK much to perform, or have you been out to the UK? Um, no, but I um, I would love to go to the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival this coming year. Have you ever been there? I did go once. I didn't get to do it like I'd really love to do it. I, I saw um, a comedy program of about 10 comedians which was amazing and I, I absolutely loved it i really did uh that was a good few years ago now that was about eight years ago i want to go if i have time I, at some point um i want to really like spend you know a few days up there and really get, get see us see a lot more shows because i just saw the one thing um but there is a there is a great comedy scene here um I actually had I actually met um, Russ Howard. He was one of our great comedians here in the UK, very briefly. But uh, he's he's a he's a nice guy, a friend of a friend. Um, but yeah, the Edinburgh Festival. You should definitely get go up to that because um, you know you you do love it, and it's a great networking thing, I guess. <laughs> if comedians do that at all, um, and it, and Edinburgh is just a great place. I mean, I live I lived in Scotland actually for a few years, um, and I spent a reasonable amount of time in Edinburgh, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, you should definitely get 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 over there and, and do that. I think you'd love it, especially with your kind of international experience. I'm sure you'd settle right into that. Yeah, if I came and did that, I would uh, 
definitely bop down to the UK for a minute. Do you get? Do you travel around outside of LA much to, for your performing, or do you stay? I mean, there's so many places there, so I guess you can just kind of just be in California. And I think the I think California. I'm sure that California is bigger than the uh, the UK. I'm almost certain of that. So I'm sure there are more than enough spaces there for you to 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 go. Uh, yes, you can. Um, you can become. Um, 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 make a decent living uh, staying within the Southern California area doing stand-up comedy and filling your time with uh, other opportunities and like TVs and films and recording your podcast mm. so that is a blessing there um, and I, I do think it's, it's bigger than the UK in that regard mm. and now finally well I won't keep you too long because I know we've been about <laughs> been a little while here. I'll let you get on with your day. But um, in terms of your preparation and in your sort of mo there, do you do you write everything beforehand, or, or I guess it depends. Perhaps, like you said before, whether you're doing improv or stand up, do you kind of know everything you're going to say and then have all the timing, or is it more like you're making it up as you go along? I write a lot, and uh, each. I, I think each writer's uh, finished writing process to them as a stand-up comedian looks a lot different. So, like, if you saw mine, it would look like a mess. But I would tell you that with what I have written on the page, I can go for 15 minutes just talking about bananas. So, um, I don't know about other people um, as far as their, like, finished thing goes, but... Yeah, I mean, I write, I sit and, you know, write for two hours some mornings, just letting the words flow out of me and then trying to find something maybe in there that's funny. Sure. That was a big, that was a cool thing that was in uh, Steve Martin's uh, master class that I still hold on to. Okay. And Sam, you mean like just letting it go in terms of like um, writing whatever comes into your head in terms of how, in terms of joke writing, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, um, yeah, just in, just write for two hours, just in terms of your life, whatever you want to write about for two hours mm-hmm. and then be able to take the, uh, you know, take the ego bruise and go reread your writing sometime. And look at it and start to think, oh, well, I think that part's funny. Well, let me pull that part out. Well, maybe there's a joke there. Or you're like, I'm uh, kind of like an idiot there. Or like, oh, maybe, oh, I'm being an asshole there. You can start to see your own little games once you start to read your own writing. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah, that's interesting. So that's, that goes back to the introspective part that you were talking about. Do you feel like you learned, I guess, I'm guessing the answer is going to be wholeheartedly yes, but I mean, do you feel like you've changed a lot and developed or or learned a lot about yourself then and doing this more than you would have otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, cool. Because I think it's probably something that everyone should, I mean, I think a lot, most, many people, when they see a great comedian, they probably think there's some aspiration there. (laughs) You know, which never gets sort of consummated, but um, 
you know, it's it's definitely interesting to hear about hear about your your story. I mean, what about Trump? Does he does he help you or hinder you? Do you feel like you've got to make jokes about him, or is he kind of just overplayed now? It's uh, it's it's there to play with for anybody at any level to play with. So you know, I watch Dana Carvey do his Trump impressions, and it's like, yes, genius level, of course. And some guys do them at, you know, open mics or at uh, at shows, and they totally bomb because they're just not, it's just not working for them, whatever. Um, I don't, I talked about it for a little bit, but I just steered clear of it. Just sort of went to just more goofball stuff because I figured people were coming out to unplug, not plug back in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, people want to just, they want to relax. They don't want to have the stress of Fox News ringing in their ears. They, you, I think you're, you're definitely right there. What, and you mentioned bombing. I mean, do you, is that something that everyone has to go through? Did you have to go through that? Yeah. Always. And I guess that's just like a kind of renaissance each time kind of thing, is it? You kind of, you, <laughs> you, is that, would that be right? Like you, you kind of. I know that even the best com- comedians do that sometimes as well, right? Would you say? Well, yeah, if you think of, like, if you sort of think of it progressively over time, the first time I went out and bombed, it was probably gut-wrenching. But I went out and bombed probably 12 more times. <laughs> yeah. So now, so now, cut to... Years later, if I get off and go, man, I bombed. There's going to be somewhere. There's going to be someone behind me somewhere. Hopefully, that'll be like, dude, that was amazing. Like, ah, I bombed. What do you mean? But my my ratio of you know taking bombs to the chest has given me armor. Mm. Well, well, I guess maybe it's kind of a double-edged sword in some ways because on the one hand, you're bombing, but like you just said, maybe you're also finding an audience. So maybe they're, say, 10% of the audience thought it was the most genius thing ever and loved it. And then perhaps they're following you more. And then on the other side of of the kind of blade of the sword, you're also taking on board the criticism from the other 90% and changing things. So it's almost like a, a car going down, like a F1 car banging into the barriers. It's kind of going, okay, I'm not going to keep going into that barrier. I'll go more, you know, this direction. Perhaps there's a there's a learning and also finding your audience kind of aspect, maybe. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and I, think, you know, I think we can, um, that's, that's definitely like set up and aided by social media too. Sure. Yeah, because you find your audience there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of inspiration, is there any comedians particularly or actors or anyone who particularly inspired you? Um, yeah, a bunch. Bill Murray continues to inspire me every day. Hmm. Um, and as far as like stand up comedians, um, like Whitney Cummings, Chris Delia, Theo Vaughn, shit, Mark Marin. And how many of those do you, do you get to work? Do you get to work with some of those guys? Um, no, not yet. Amazing, but 
But you worked in the same venues as them anyway. Oh yeah, totally. Um, it's just uh, it's, it's just a matter of time in at this point. Oh, it's just a matter of uh, keep putting my time in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Sam, look, that that is so cool. It's been really a, very much an honor to talk to you today. I really do appreciate you taking the time, and I know it's been been you know a good good little amount of time there this morning for you on a Saturday morning. So, uh, I just want to say thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you, Sam? Um, In terms of social media or or whatever. Just poke them right to my Instagram account, Sam Brillhart. Sam Brillhart. Uh, and you got some really cool um, show reels on YouTube. You've got a show reel link on your Instagram. Guys, anyone listening, please check out Sam Brillhart. You're going to be in the UK anytime. You said you you don't have anything planned, but you might be out here for the Edinburgh fi- uh, Fringe. Oh, yeah. Maybe in August. I'll keep you posted. Please do. Yeah, please let me know, because if you are coming back, we'll get you on again. It'll be great to talk to you again. Really, really, really appreciate talking to you. It's been really fun. Yeah, totally. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Thanks to Sam. Thanks for you guys for tuning in. Next week, hopefully, we're going to have a lady who's going to tell us about ayahuasca, plant medicines, and indigenous peoples, including those in South America, where she studied some of these psychedelics, which can be used for medical purposes. I'm not sure of the full full details, but I'm going to speak to her later tonight, and I'm going to speak to her maybe tomorrow morning, uh, either tonight or tomorrow, and uh, get some insight into into a potentially interesting podcast about psychedelics, particularly with pertaining to uh, plant medicines and indigenous people. So that should be really cool and kind of interesting, I hope. Thanks a lot. If you liked the podcast or you didn't like it, don't hesitate to give me a rating. On whatever device you're, you're listening to, if you're on Podbean, give it a rating, please, and give me a positive comment. Or if you don't like it, please don't do that. <laughs> and then send me an email at ben at systemisrig.com. Thanks. Have a great day.